Welcome everyone. <clears throat> uh, one of the joys of um, being here from the very beginning when Maria opens the door is to watch the scrolling arrivals uh, of people. And I would imagine that many of you um, if you've been around for the last few weeks and months, now see people and uh, see people arrive that you didn't know um, and have come to know in this way. So it's wonderful uh, to see all of you. Uh, let's sit for a few minutes and settle together as a few other people uh, arrive to join us.
vest is the robe of liberation, a formless field of benefaction. Wearing the universal teaching, I realize the one true nature, thus harmonizing all being. Vast is the robe of liberation, a formless field of benefaction. Wearing the universal teaching, I realize the one true nature, thus harmonizing all being. Vast is the robe of liberation, a formless field of benefaction. Wearing the universal teaching, I realize the one true nature, thus harmonizing all being. Sometimes it's um, difficult to speak, but there are things that have to be spoken about. And so uh, today I want to um, speak about a few things which guide and influence and encourage our practice in the midst of um, a, a difficult and inconceivable loss of one of our Sangha members, which I couldn't not speak about. Um, some of you know, many of you know, certainly from Austin, but so many of you are on the various lists of communication that know that uh, our dear longtime Sangha member, Kevin uh, Frost, entered the great mystery and dropped her body and uh, this past week. And <clears throat> the particular way I'd like to speak about this, uh, not as, um, well, I'll get to that in, in a moment. You know, last week, many of you were with us and I had utilized that the beautiful poem by Albert Hufstickler, The Cure, and it, it started with two powerful lines. The poem started, we think we get over things, we, we don't get over things. There are things that we don't get over, but he said later in the poem, the things that become part of our experience never become less a part of our experience. How can I say it? The way to get over a life is to, to die. Short of that, you move with it. Let the pain be the pain, not in the hope that it will vanish, but in the faith that it will fit in, find its place in the shape of things. And right now we're all attempting to find the way this inconceivable loss can fit into the shape of things and how we're shaped by it. At the very end, that poet says, wisdom is seeing the shape of your life without obliterating or getting over a single instant of it. And this is truly important wisdom for us. Recently, I heard a story, and I can't remember the source. I wish I could. But an old, wise teacher was being consulted, and a student said, what is your greatest hope? your deepest prayer. And he said a very strange thing. He said, my deepest prayer is that I would die and then my children would die and then their children would die. The things would remain in their proper order. The inevitable. Um, but it doesn't always go that way. And sometimes experiences in the shape of a life doesn't sustain itself. It's hard to find a shape. And despite what people think or hope for, 
the Dharma does not offer us a way to get over things. That's not what the Four Noble Truths and the various teachings are telling us. But it does offer us a radical and real way to continue through them. And not despite them. That's another clever kind of workaround to the necessary intimacy and the moving with each thing, each moment. Another mother who had lost a child suddenly and tragically um, and very publicly, Anne Merle Lindbergh once wrote, I do not believe that sheer suffering teaches. If suffering alone taught, the whole world would be wise since everyone suffers. To suffering must be added mourning, understanding, patience, love, openness, and the willingness to remain vulnerable. And, and there is wisdom in that. When I spoke to Kevin's mother, Darcy, very, very soon after she sent me the initial heartbreaking bit of information, part of what we mentioned to each other in a certain way, if I had to make it into a few words, is the tragedy that love is absolutely necessary and it's not enough. So what I want to do is ask you during these few minutes to follow a very personal arc that unfolded. We're just going to follow the shape of some of what happened in the last few months. Things that became part of our experience, very personally for some and collectively for others. And it included a practice discussion group, the teachings that were brought to that group, <clears throat> the struggles of Kevin in a very full and complicated life. But this is what we always practice with our stumbling, gorgeous, tragic, imperfect lives. And the practices and teachings, if we're fortunate to find them, that act as, as guides, at least in the general direction of freedom, which we decipher, try to decipher a, a little at a time as best we can, sometimes seemingly in the dark, in the midst of this uh, impermanent, unrelenting, unfolding universe, alongside all the inevitable uh, losses. So today will not be a proper memorial for Kevina. That will have to wait just a bit. But as I said, I could not not speak of her loss and the aftershocks and tremors that are moving through our community. So this isn't just a memorial. And the inquiry to follow will not, and I want to make sure I'm clear about this, will not be an invitation for you to share the many, many painful tales of loss that you've all experienced and we could all report and would be important. And in addition, it's, it will not be a place for you to simply recall all of our memories how wonderful or difficult of, of Keb. We'll do that at her memorial service. That'll be another time. And by, and right now, so soon, we have to go gently anyway. Very gently. And said, what does this arc that I'm going to share with you, what's it for? You might ask, what, what did she teach? What will you take from this, which will benefit your own life and your own world? And how are we being shaped by these experiences? And what shape is this inconceivable loss taking in our Sangha? We don't get over this. 
as I said, we move with it, discover how it fits in, and we keep changing, and then it all drops off, blocking everything, and then it returns. These are the waves of grief and longing and fighting and surrendering and then getting quiet again. And this is actually where the Dharma reveals itself. Not as some nice philosophy or religion or useful psychology, but as a path, a foundational truth that of what it means to live and to love and to lose everything. One thing is important to note, Keb was, and I'm and I, choosing this word carefully, Keb was demanding of truth. She didn't request it, and not always politely, or sidestep it. She wasn't harsh. She was committed to it. At least that was my experience. And it's what she asked of me. And she challenged me many times to tell her the truth, even when it was hard, the truth between us. So notice what truth comes forward for you as you follow this story arc I'm going to share with you, this guide in the direction of freedom. And like many Zen stories, I know this sounds odd, the story doesn't exactly have a point. It has a shape. And it's just important to walk it together and listen together. Here's where the story starts. It's just very small things. One of our Sangha members who knows something about these things and who was very close to Cab in our practice discussion group, Shirley Gamble, uh, brought a prompt months, several months ago in the spring to the group that she shared with Keb. And for those of you that aren't familiar, uh, each week I ask someone in the group to bring something, a small teaching, um, something that is a reflection of their own practice to encourage others to explore their practice edge. And in this case, Shirley brought something that some of you might be familiar with, and I'm not going to quote the whole thing, but it's from a writing in the 1960s by Leonard Cohen, a collection called Beautiful Losers. And he asks a question, what is a saint? A saint is someone who's achieved a remote human possibility. It is impossible to say what that possibility is. I think it has something to do with the energy of love. Contact with this energy results in the exercise of a kind of balance in the chaos of existence. It is a kind of balance that is her glory, this saint, whoever. She's at home in the world and she can love the shape of human beings, the fine and twisted shape of the heart. It's good to have among us such people, such balancing monsters of love. And that phrase, the balancing monsters of love, has become well known, I think, because it's such a potent completion. And I apologize to... Mr. Cohen for changing the pronouns, not what he wrote, but it's the way I wanted to read it. <clears throat> so Shirley brought this to our group and we sat with it and read it and reflected on it. And it was a longer piece, but, and that balancing monsters of love was so impactful. I looked up you know, the English word monster comes from the Latin monstrum, which means abnormal or supernatural in appearance. And it also can mean a wonder or a miracle. 
Monsters represent human fear of the unknown, unnatural and unexplained. And isn't this where we find ourselves? In a state of uh, wonder of the unknown and the fear of what seems unnatural and unexplained. It's balancing monsters of love. And Shirley sent an email with this larger quotation in it to us before we met in group, which is what I usually ask people to do so we can think about it. And Kev wrote back an email, which included the following. And it was right after she had had a, a hospitalization. It was actually still, still there. She said, I'm and this was to the whole group. She said, I'm sorry to miss again this week. And then she spoke a little about her situation. And then she said, I've never had to face myself like this before. I'm glad to remember what Flint said recently about the practice of Zen being about forgiving yourself for being what you are. Now, parenthetically, what I actually said was forgiving yourself for being yourself. And she heard what you are. She goes on, I'm a person who is surrounded by love and had to struggle with all her will to be able to receive some of it. Who feels that she's ill-equipped to give it back anywhere near the strength of what is offered. How do I forgive myself for this? I'm working on it. It gives me great sadness. I hope that will someday translate into the tenderness that cracks you open rather than being the person curled tight in a ball that I am now. And then she says, thank you so much for this awesome offering, Shirley. This group collectively feels like a saint to me. Love, Kim. And at that time, we could hear, of course, the struggle, but she's also offering us such uh, tender and powerful and direct and important truths that forgiving oneself for being oneself, which is the foundation for deep and penetrating self-acceptance, and that's a small word for what practice offers us, to understand how to balance love, this giving and receiving that she was having a hard time balancing what Cohen was talking about, seeking the tenderness that would crack her open so the light could get in, as he said in other places. And then the beautiful expression of the essence of Sangha, this group collectively feels like a saint to me. And she did let us know that. And it's what we are to each other. If we, if we follow that suggestion that saintliness may have a, a strange connotation for some people, but, but such a person, such a possibility has something to do with the energy of love. A kind of balance in the chaos of existence, Cohen says. This is what practice actually offers us, a way through the interdependent and impermanence of existence, the seeming chaos. And it is a kind of a balance that is her glory. This is Suzuki Roshi saying, we live continually off balance against a background of perfect balance. Everything is perfectly as it is, and we're stumbling our way through as best we can, and practice helps us keep our balance. And when we lose it, sometimes we don't regain it. 
And that then becomes the shape of the next thing. Because she can love the shape of human beings, the fine and twisted shapes of the heart. And Cohen says it's good to have among us such people, such balancing monsters of love. Only a few uh, weeks later, maybe a month or so, it was Kev's turn to bring an offering. And um, she did. Uh, she brought a, a poem, which was um, sometimes what some of us bring, sometimes what I will bring to you, as you know. I love poetry. It speaks in a different language. David White, I've heard him say, poetry is language against which you have no defense. It seems to move through in a different way. And I'll read the poem that she offered us. Um, I was reminded of it because Clayton, who's also in our group, reminded us of it, although I was looking back through all of these things, and Clayton said something beautiful. She said she remembered the poem, and she read it out loud, as I'm going to read it out loud. It's meant to be read out loud. And she said it was like holding her hand. <clears throat> but also, as you see, it speaks to a parent's quiet attention to the activities of a child, hoping for the best, realizing the struggles that a child carries, and the deep, deep longing that things will be okay. <clears throat> the title of the poem is called The Writer, um, the, like someone who writes, The Writer, the poet is Richard Wilbur, <clears throat> and here is the, the poem that she brought. In her room, at the prow of the house, where light breaks, and the windows are tossed with linden, it's a kind of a tree, my daughter is writing a story. I pause in the stairwell, hearing from her shut door a commotion of typewriter keys, like a chain hauled over a gunwale. Young as she is, the stuff of her life is a great cargo, and some of it heavy. I wish her a lucky passage. And now it is she who pauses as if to reject my thought and its easy figure, a stillness greatens in which the whole house seems to be thinking. And then she's at it again with a bunched clamor of strokes and again is silent. I remember the dazed starling which was trapped in that very room two years ago how we uh, stole in, lifted a sash, and retreated, not to affright it, and how for a helpless hour, through the crack in the door, we watched this sleek, wild, dark, and iridescent creature batter against the brilliance, drop like a glove to the hard floor or the desktop, and wait, then humped and bloody for the wits to try again. And how our spirits rose then, suddenly sure, it lifted off from a chair back, beating a smooth course for the right window and clearing the sill of the world. It's always a matter, my darling, of life or death, as I had forgotten. I wish what I wished you before, but harder.
clearing the sill of the world. It's always a matter, my darling, of life or death, as I'd forgotten. I, I wish what I wished you before, but harder. And, you know, it's always a matter. It's always an unfolding of the great matter. Every moment and whatever we hope for each other. Moments like this make us wish it harder for each other. To practice together, to hold hands, as Clayton said. To be and to find and to meet those balancing monsters of love with focus and dedication. To keep finding over and over again that our greatest longing and our greatest fear is exactly the same thing. Love. Our deepest, deepest longing. And the thing we have the hardest time with. The great balance. The monstrous balance. Where do you struggle for balance? Who are your balancing monsters of love? How will your, your Sangha, your practices, your teachers and teachings support you in clearing the sill of the world? A direction that offers you freedom. These are the questions that this arc point to. Questions that are in all of us now And that we can meet, not as just reflecting on a painful and tragic loss that we're just barely starting to meet and come to some relationship with. Remembering that we don't get over things. Together we find their shape. And so once again, without just speaking about all the inevitable losses that we've experienced and or just about Keb, we'll, we'll do that at another time. What's in you now? And maybe there's nothing to speak. I'm not sure. It's following such an arc of relationship, of surely offering something when she didn't know what else to offer but that that it made sense to her, it touched her, it had meaning to her, and it opened something in the group, and Keb could respond to it beautifully and deeply and honestly. And then we could remember it after she's gone. The offering that Keb made back. And on and on it goes. We do our best. Not to get over, but to get through, to make it through. Not despite it all, but with, with it all, because of it all. And this isn't to try to make a meaning out of Kev's life or her actions. That's, that's not our business. But it is our, our business to try to understand our own possibilities and limitations. The fact that we are awake beings struggling to manifest it and to live it, to express it and to encourage it. And if there are barriers to your clearing the sill of the world into more space and freedom, then that's what we speak about. And when we see how hard it is for each other and how much we wish for each other and for ourselves, when losses like this happen, we wish it harder. And we practice with more diligence. If you um, wish to raise your hand, it'd be a, a fine time to do that. And we'll certainly sit with each other.
Becky. Hello, Becky. Thank you that this inquiry is, is the one it is. Um, and thank you the whole Sangha for so much. I guess that, that for myself, my, my experience across this time has been very intense, of course. Uh, Darcy's been my very dear friend for a long time and, and I've been with her through much of this journey that, that has been over the last three years of her life, a lot of intense things. And I'm, I'm doing my own dance around issues of death that I need to um, keep, keep all of the balances in order to dance. And the place that, that I was kind of surprised by, but why should I be, um, to bump into as soon as I'd heard and taken in what had just happened, actually, um, I, I, I was really, I've been really glad that over the last while that what used to be very consuming empathy for me has so thoroughly changed into compassion that feels exactly right almost all the time. And and this one I recognize is, is a practice edge in probably more places than I have yet identified mm -hmm. in that it, it pulled me in there for a while of, of, and I recognized it even as soon as it happened and yet there I was um, that, that, I mean, as the, as a friend of a beloved friend, as, as a mother, as the many things, I just, I just felt it too much for it to be of use to me or Darcy or the world. And I've, I think I'm, I, I think as of yesterday, I sort of was able to recenter with that and to be here in the way that I, I mean to be. And yet, as I say, I think there may be levels of that that are yet for to surface for me. So that's, that's the direction that is offered me. Well, and that's why I suggest that we all have to go gently. There's no rush, there can't be. And it sounds like this is what it's brought you to right now. I know for a couple of days, I wasn't sure what to think or feel about it, but my body just shook. It was below thinking. And then, uh, then I'm asked to speak, so I have to say something. And we just keep moving along together. So thank you, Becky, because I know that you're in that situation it's that line from the well-known David White poem where it says, we're growing younger towards death. That this is um, not abstract for you. No, it's not abstract, but it, it continues to enrich my perception even of what my, my death is mm -hmm. as it comes. As, it, as it's closer, which, you know, with each breath it is. Um, and with practice, it's not a narrowing down. It's actually an opening. You find the window that's open. Oh, yes. Thank you. There's a little, uh, you know, a little thing that pops up that says Clayton raised her hand. 
And I thought, oh, she raised her hand so we can hold hands. I, um, I don't really have much to say except how much I needed to be with all of you today. And, um, thank you, Flint, for saying that about going gently. But one thing that's really helpful is seeing the faces across the top. Mm. It's very simple because it's so beyond words right now. But um, seeing y'all's faces, all of you, not just those of you. Look, my husband just brought me a Kleenex. Um, um, not just those of you who knew Keb, but all of you. Um, seeing your faces is, is, is the best thing I could um, receive right now. So thank you for that. And hearing you read that poem again, the Keb poem that she brought to our group, it was such a revelation to me when Keb brought it um, because there's so much love and yearning, parental hopes all wrapped up in it. And um, it makes me feel so close to Keb. And then hearing you read it and share it with everyone feels like the best way to hold her right now. So thank you. And to remind us all of how much, how powerful the love we have. And I'm sorry, I'm crying, but I've been keeping it tamped down. But all the love that we have for her and Darcy. And um, so I'm just, that love is powerful. So the tears right now, yes, they are of loss, but they're even more about love. So thank you. Well, and you see on that, um, that beautiful line of faces, just like I said in the very beginning, these are our balancing monsters of love, you know? Yeah. The inconceivable, indescribable, bigger than life, and completely necessary and ordinary intimacy of our own love. It's very powerful. It is. And that's why I wanted to say, just follow the arc. Don't try to make it mean, don't try to get it. Just follow the arc, just follow the faces, follow the life to clear the soul of the world. So Becky, thank you for your offering to us today. It was really good to see you and all of you out there. And um, this is a, this was much needed today. So I'm glad you were able to <clears throat> to bring us all together around this Flint. Thank you. Sure. And I like the way your camera was for a while in which the light almost um, made you disappear. And <laughs> so beautiful. Good. Well, thank you. And I, um, thanks for reminding us to go gently. I have it. Uh, my niece has a daughter who has, I believe it's called Thompson syndrome, which affects her child's stature and affects many internal organs. And learning is difficult for her. And her teacher was being married. And she wrote her this poem about love. Now, who wrote the poem? My niece's daughter. She wrote it, okay. Uh -huh. she, wrote, she wrote this poem and she is uh, either eight or nine. It's called, What is Love? To me, love is weird. It is something that makes people happy. It is a responsibility. 
It's something everyone experiences. It's something celebrated. And the ending, I, I have two endings for it because I couldn't quite read her writing. And it's gloss, but I suspect this is what she wrote. And it's gross. <laughs> From an eight-year-old's point of view. Well, that first line really says a lot, doesn't it? Yeah. It's weird. It's weird. Yes. This necessary weirdness. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank you for that sharing. Thank you. What is her name? Her name is Freddie. Freddie. Thank you, Freddie. have Bridget next. Hello, Bridget. Hi. Oh, I'm so grateful to be with you all and to be able to see Darcy and her sister uh, on the little screen above your head. <laughs> and I, I wanted to come on because what I was experiencing when Clayton was speaking is that it appeared that she was sitting outside but her, it was as if she, it reminded me of being in a cathedral of space where there's a lights of beams from the higher clear story windows are shining down and illuminating Clayton's presence and deep intense presence and connection to Keb and to all of us. And I just had to comment on it. I'm sure that sounds too architectural my children would say, oh, mom, you're being too historical again. But it's just that experience of light is love. And we experience it when we can connect in this way. And I'm just what, what it illuminated in you is important. The metaphors are just the way you see the world. Right. So with deep doubt to everyone present here, mm -hmm. I'm grateful. Thank you. Thank you, Bridget. It's it, was, it was really beautiful. Thank you for that arc and thank you everyone for being present and Darcy and your sister. And Steve there too, you just can't see him. Oh, I haven't met Steve. Hello, Steve. I'll come look for you in a moment. I'm so sorry. No, that's okay. You, I think he's not on screen, but he's there. Um, the arc of the story made me want to share a little story arc I just experienced. And I think it invites that kind of gentle awareness of how life and death are happening each moment. Um, I just went swimming to take care of myself. And um, on my first lap, there was a rescue, which is not uncommon at Barton Springs. It's a big pool. Um, the person was fine, but um, it was a woman. And um, as I was swimming, I ran into an object and it was the lifeguard's cowboy hat. So I had to swim over and you know leave it on the side so that he could get it. And so I was swimming with just um, gratitude for being able to swim, to have that skill. Um, and also just um, how fragile humans are in water, right? Especially with this water that's very cold and, and not clear right now. So at the end of the swim, I finished and um, got out and there happened to be um, some tourists, which is not uncommon, some people visiting from Tennessee. And with them was a little girl who was, um, I didn't know Keb very well, but how I would like to think of Keb at the age of eight or 10, this little girl um, had a brand new Polaroid camera that was very cool that took these little gorgeous photos and she took some time to frame Barton Springs, which is huge and unphotographable, um, and took a beautiful photograph. And then just a moment later, she was so excited because she found a little tiny frog and she wanted her mom to take a photograph of it in her hand. 
and there was just such curiosity and um, energy in this girl. And both of these things happened, this rescue of a woman um, and her anxiety and terror and just kind of, you know, watching that happen, lifeguards jumping off things, whistles, and then this little girl with this tiny frog and her exuberance about being at this pool that she'd never been at, all of that in about 45 minutes. And I guess I just offer that as, um, you know, every moment, whether we know the person who's suffering or we don't, it's happening. And in the next moment, there's, um, you know, opening or spaciousness or wonder. And it feels like we can just kind of be present for it. And the incredible, um, you know, it's hard to, to see someone be rescued and know that there's just so much adrenaline and things. Um, and then it's such a wonder to run into a little girl um, in the moment that she's really present to the world. That's all. Another arc of the balancing monster. Yeah. And that doesn't stop. Yeah. It doesn't get better. It just keeps unfolding that way. And that's what we make our way through. Try to help each other along. So. Yeah, every day there are rescues and not everyone makes it. And every day there's someone who's in wonder and there's no separation between the two somehow. Yeah, somehow. Okay. Um, hi, Flint. Um, so I didn't know Cab, but I was um, I'm identifying with the email that she sent to the group and um, how much love she felt. And um, so um, yesterday I was um, doing some financial stuff to prepare, you know, kind of for retirement and all of that. And I was so anxious and I just stopped. I said, what, you know, nothing's wrong. Everything's prepared. And um, I did something I never did before, which is practice in the middle of the day. I just stopped um, because I really had kind of a knot in my stomach and I practiced and I sat and um, I was just feeling, um, I said, you are held by so many people and the Sangha for one, this is like, you know, a, a sense, well, I guess I've become in the year open to being held. And, and um, I just stayed with that and family and friends, I'm being held and by the universe, by the whole thing. So that was, I have to thank everyone and you and, for helping me um, like open up to that. Mm -hmm. That was the, that was Robin's, that was a rescue. Yeah. And Kev's yeah. feeling the group as uh, the collective group was the saint. Yes, absolutely. And then as we finish, cause we're, we're near the end of our time. And sometimes as Darcy and I said a few days ago when we spoke, and sometimes the love isn't enough. Yeah. And we have to move gently with that also. Yes. Yeah. yes. Thank you so, so much, Rosemary. Thank you. For your honesty and vulnerability. Thank you. Mm -hmm. We have just um, just a few more moments, and I th I think um, if you'll allow, rather than um, just moving to our, our our shared chant, which we we do at the end, um, and and is important to do as we reflect on how 
we can be caught and how each moment offers us something. I think instead I'd rather end with just reading Kev's poem again as a completion. <clears throat> the poem she brought. And so we'll, we'll do that to uh, end our time. Is the Writer by Richard Wilbur. In her room at the prow of the house where light breaks and the windows are tossed with linden, my daughter is writing a story. I pause in the stairwell, hearing from her shut door a commotion of typewriter keys like a chain hauled over a gunwale. Young as she is, the stuff of her life is a great cargo, and some of it heavy. I wish her a lucky passage. But now it is she who pauses, as if to reject my thought and its easy figure. A stillness greatens, in which the whole house seems to be thinking. And then she's at it again with a bunched clamor of strokes, and again is silent. I remember the dazed starling, which was trapped in that very room two years ago. How we stole in, lifted a sash, and retreated, not to affright it. And how for a helpless hour, through the crack of the door, we watched the sleek, wild, dark, and iridescent creature batter against the brilliance drop like a glove to the hard floor or the desktop and wait then humped and bloody for the wits to try it again and how our spirits rose when suddenly sure it lifted off from a chair back beating a smooth course for the right window and clearing the sill of the world It's always a matter, my darling, of life or death, as I'd forgotten. I wish what I wished you before, but harder. Thank you, everyone, for your gentle attention and perseverance as we continue and I'll I'll say just to bridge um, with Maria I'm not trying to take anything away but um, if you want to continue uh, and to connect uh, she'll help you with the after uh, connection too but we'll say a few more things thank you thank you so much Thank you so much, Flint, and so much love to Darcy from all of us. If you'd like to support Appamada um, and its programs and facilities, please do go to the website at appamada.org forward slash contribute. And we now move on to the next offering of the day um, where we have an opportunity to continue to meet and share on the online porch and please do join myself and others and if you'd like to take a couple of minutes break then please do thank you so much everybody <laughs> <laughs>